For the folks designing kitchen tools at OXO, inspiration can come from anywhere. Take, for example, the patented brake design on their salad spinner. Senior product engineer Mac Moore explains. The area of the pad that comes down on the ring is larger, so the braking force is stronger. The second really cool feature is that the brake doesn't squeak. The inspiration for that came from actually the way that the brakes on a bicycle contact the rim. Spin your greens dry, quietly. Shop all products at OXO.com. That's OXO.com. OXO. Better. Guaranteed. Hey, thanks to our presenting sponsor, Bob's Red Mill. Stay tuned at the break for their quiz. My gut. That's the thing that prevents me from fitting into my favorite pair of jeans, but otherwise, I never really think about it. Maybe I should. Show your gut some love. When you're confident in your gut, you feel confident to take on anything. With the exclusive probiotic Bifidus Regularis, Activia helps regulate your digestive system. You got that right, Jamie. There's nothing like it. Exactly. Okay, if Jamie Lee Curtis is worried about her gut, then I should probably pay more attention to mine. And it seems like, hey, the answer to a healthy gut is as simple as ingesting some probiotics. They're commonly found in yogurt, sure, but if that's not your thing, you can have a big bowl of kimchi or sauerkraut. Or you could take a pill or mix up a special powder. There are so many products out there now that say includes probiotics. You've got breakfast cereals and smoothies and even muffin mixes and tortilla chips. The probiotic industry, much like my gut, is expanding by the minute. Estimates say that the global probiotic market will reach over $65 billion by the year 2024. So before we plunk down any more of our hard-earned cash on the next gut health wonder food, let's figure out if it's worth it. From America's Test Kitchen, I'm Bridget Lancaster, and this is Proof. The first time I had kombucha, I got a face full of those slimy scoby dregs that are on the bottom of the bottle, and I thought I would never drink it again. But over time, I actually learned to love it, and now I drink it anytime I have a stomachache or I feel a little bit off. This is Anna Fisher-Pinkert. She produces a show called Veritalk at Harvard's Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. She talks to PhD students about their research, and that's how she came across a fascinating story about the microbiome. I asked her about those slimy dregs, which she called SCOBY. SCOBY is an acronym, and it stands for a symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast. And it kind of looks like a big white jellyfish floating in the kombucha. There's this slippery, slimy pancake that floats on top, and it has this trail of yeasty strings that hang down into the liquid. I gotta say, you're not selling me on SCOBY right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, you need the SCOBY to make the kombucha. You feed it sugar, and it produces this vinegary, fizzy tea drink. Well, since it's made with live bacteria, I would think that it would have some of the same probiotic properties as, say, yogurt or sauerkraut or kimchi, and it would be a pretty good thing for your gut. Yeah, that's exactly what everyone tells me about kombucha. It's good for your gut microbiome. But I wanted to know why. What does it mean to have a healthy gut microbiome? I gotta love your level of curiosity here, right up my alley, because I am super leery of any kind of food trend. You can ask anyone around the office or pretty much anyone I've ever met. 
<laughs> right, right. Well, fortunately, I found an expert on the gut microbiome, and we met up at the Harvard Museum of Natural History. She was sitting at a table with a microscope and a huge jar of kombucha. We have some kombucha here. Have you guys had kombucha? Oh. I, I've been I've curious about it, but I've been wanting to try it. Yeah, okay. Um, so you can find it in. That's Carrie Allen Blevins, and she's holding up this jar to a couple of visitors. Inside the jar, there's a huge white scoby floating in a brownish liquid. Some of this culture. Let's see if I can get the big one. Here we go. This guy. It's kind of a pancake. It's very shiny and slimy. Um, so this is a scoby, or a symbiotic community of bacteria and yeast. And basically, the yeast grow downward. And there's little brown bits here. Um, where there's less oxygen, and they take that sugar and turn it into alcohol and carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide gives it the fizz. And then Carrie is a PhD student in human and evolutionary biology at Harvard's Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, and she's also a volunteer at the museum. Oh, wow. What does it smell like? Kind of vinegary. Right. Yeah, so that vinegar smell is the acetic acid that you're smelling. And that's actually good for the bacteria because that means that if it has that acidic smell that the acid in the kombucha is such that other things can't actually live in here usually so that's Carrie volunteers at the museum because she likes bacteria in fact she thinks we should all like bacteria a little more a lot of times we have this conception of microbes as just germs, but they really do a lot of great things for us, like, uh, you know, cheese, yogurt, pickles, sauerkraut, kombucha, all of these things wouldn't be possible without microbes. So I love cheese, and I really want to have that in my life. So I owe microbes a debt of gratitude for that. Bacteria don't just make delicious foods for us, they also help us to break down food. And to understand how they do that, I had to throw out a lot of my assumptions about how our bodies work. I'm a machine, you're a machine. Everybody that you know, you know they are machines. To keep your In elementary school, I learned that our digestive systems were like factories that turn food into energy. But our guts aren't like squeaky clean factory equipment. They're full of bacteria, tiny living microbiota that do a lot of the work of breaking down food into components that we can digest. Take it out for a spin every day. There are over 100 trillion individual bacterium in your body, representing a thousand different species. And scientists are just beginning to map out what a healthy gut looks like. The next challenge is figuring out who's doing what and how they're doing it. That's Vayu Maini Rakdal. Vayu has a background as a chef. He worked in restaurants in New York, and he studied at Fundación Alicia, the science and cooking institute led by the world-famous Spanish chef Ferran Adria. We did a lot of cool experiments, basically applying this, this scientific mindset to food and to change textures and flavors and understand what's going on. But Vayu wanted to take this scientific understanding of cooking and apply it to human health. And so I got a fellowship to go to uh, Mayo Clinic, which is a big research hospital in Minnesota, and was introduced there to the wonderful world of the gut microbiome. Now he's a PhD student in molecular and cellular biology at Harvard, and he's trying to figure out how and why we get nutritional benefits from the most basic things possible, like fruits and veggies. 
plants are brilliant chemists. They produce a lot of different interesting molecules, just regular you know, plants that we consume every day. These molecules are a big reason that fruits and veggies are good for us. Some of them, called polyphenols, have antioxidant properties. Polyphenols have been linked to all sorts of good health outcomes, from delaying Alzheimer's disease to protecting the body from cancer. But we can't get to those molecules without microbes. My research has focused partly on understanding how these molecules in plants are metabolized by gut microbes as kind of a a way to better understand nutrition and health benefits of plant foods, which most people agree are, are, you know, very good for the human body. When I walk through my local health food store, I see the word antioxidant plastered on everything from chocolate to tea to breakfast cereal. I asked Bayou what he thought about that. I think it's a scam. I think, I mean, I think a lot of, uh, you know, the kind of health food scene is just marketing. Bayou says that eating new superfoods isn't going to magically make you healthy. This is because each of us has a different mix of species of bacteria in our guts. Some of us might have the right bacteria to unlock those antioxidants, and some of us might not. For example, it's a really fascinating study from Japan where they found a bacterial enzyme that can degrade seaweed in the gut of Japanese people specifically. And you don't find that in other parts of the world, and people think that that's because... The Japanese diet is traditionally very rich in seaweed, and so the bacteria in the guts of Japanese people have sort of evolved to metabolize that. But if we don't keep feeding those microbes, they don't thrive. The foods we choose to eat impact the mix of microbes in our guts. It's interesting because as you know, we've transitioned to more Western-style diets that are low in fiber and high in fat and sugar, there's this kind of idea that some of these microbes are dying out in certain populations. They're sort of just disappearing because we're not feeding them the right way. A healthy gut microbiome helps us access the nutritious properties of the foods we eat by breaking them down and unlocking helpful molecules. But there are also other really important impacts on our bodies. Carrie told me about a few of them. If you did not have gut microbiota in your system, then a lot of things go really haywire. So we do experiments with germ-free mice a lot in this field. You see how different germ-free mice are from mice that have been colonized with a normal microbiota. There are differences in immune regulation. So germ-free mice have weaker immune systems. And without gut microbes, their behavior also changes. Those germ-free mice that have no microbiota at all When you expose them to certain types of stressors, sometimes they have increased anxiety reactions, sometimes they have decreased anxiety reactions. Scientists are just starting to figure out this gut-brain connection. When we look at human studies and we take people who have um, depression or anxiety and we look at what type of microbes are living in their guts, you see differences. But then the question becomes, are their microbes different because they're depressed or anxious, so that's affecting their gut? Or is the difference in microbes causing them to be depressed or anxious? So we're not really sure which way those arrows go yet. We do know that some gut bacteria produce neurotransmitters, like serotonin and dopamine, that impact our mood. And what we don't know is how these things are interacting with our brain. So in some studies, we see that these neurotransmitters seem to 
travel along the vagus nerve, which is the nerve that controls your digestive tract and it goes to your brain. That's one way that things could be interacting. There's also a possibility that bacteria are producing neurotransmitters in your gut and then that's going directly into your blood or other pathways to your brain. It's a really fascinating field. It's also very young, so there are lots of unanswered questions. Okay, so the gut isn't just helping us get those nutrients from our food, and it's not just helping us build immunity. It's not solely about physical health, but it's also about mental health. Yeah, exactly. Like Carrie said, it's still a really young field, and it's not super well understood. But there are a lot of ideas out there about how to fix our guts to improve our mental health. And that could be anything from pills to fecal transplants. But the challenge in making these ideas a reality is figuring out what happens when we introduce a new species of bacteria into your unique gut. Once we've identified a species that seems to be causing something or is associated with something, what dosage do we need to get that into people? And is that going to affect all people in the same way? Is that the only species that's having that effect? Once it's in the actual gut environment with all of these other species, is it still going to have the same effect? Is it going to be different? Is something else going to have an effect at that point? So it's a really complicated system to try to look at individually. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are trying to take advantage of this by coming up with these probiotic products that promise these big results by feeding you one strain of a bacterium. But it's just so unlikely that those are going to have actual effects. Wait, so does that mean there's nothing we can do to change the health of our own guts? We'll find out after the break. Well, it's time for another Bob's Red Mill Quiz. And this week, I'm putting my colleague Brian Roof in the hot seat. Let's see how much he knows about organic oats. Hello. Hey, Brian. Hey, Bridget. Uh, is this one of those Bob's Red Mill Quizzes? <laughs> exactly. You don't have to be scared. I'm going to go easy on you. Which of the following is not a health benefit of eating organic oats? Is it A, lowering LDL or the bad cholesterol, B, making you feel fuller longer thanks to all that dietary fiber, or C, helping control blood sugar levels thanks to soluble fiber. I feel like you might be trying to trick me here. I thought all those were health benefits of oatmeal. Oh, you caught me. I was trying to trick you because you're absolutely right. They're all benefits of eating organic oats. But you should also know that Bob's Red Mill's oats aren't just for breakfast. You can use these organic oats to make top-notch cookies, oat bars, crisps, granola bread, and so much more. Learn more at bobsredmill.com. What if your sink was more than just a place to rinse produce or drain pasta? What if it was a highly functional kitchen workstation? Well, that's what the folks at Kohler had in mind when they designed the Prolific. This stainless steel sink isn't just good-looking. It comes with accessories like a bamboo cutting board and colander. And the sides of the sink have bevels, and that allows you to adjust the location of those accessories. And there's plenty of space to make all of those adjustments, thanks to Prolific's deep 10-inch basin. Kohler, for people who do their best work in the kitchen. Learn more at Kohler.com. 
Sure, everyone knows that sous vide is great for cooking steak and eggs, but it can do so much more. And that's why Chef Steps created the Jewel. I went into the test kitchen to find out what my colleagues do with theirs. This roast beef that we have, we set it to a really low temperature and we let it go overnight. The collagen breaks down, the meat gets super, super tender. Basically prime rib, but a quarter of the price. Polenta grits, normally that's a very hands-on dish. You have to like stir it a lot. Sous vide is pretty cool for it because it's hands-off. I actually have a couple of things in the sous vide bath right now, this very moment as we speak. Jewel, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use code ATK2019 to get $15 off. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E, code ATK2019. Before the break, I was talking with Veritalk producer Anna Fisher-Pinkert about probiotic products and foods. Do they really do anything? Anna, so do we actually have any kind of ability to change the health of our own guts? Actually, we do. Carrie says that we can change our microbiome by changing our diets. So diet is the number one factor in what microbes you have, what type of microbial community you have in your gut. And part of that is because they're feeding on what you're feeding on, right? So if you dump a whole bunch of like protein into your gut, then the things that are good at eating protein are going to flourish and do much better than the things that are in your gut saying, give me grain. So what about your SCOBY-rich kombucha, Anna, or yogurt, or any of the foods that are made with quote-unquote good bacteria? Well, those will only work if the bacteria used to make the yogurt or the kombucha are still alive. And if your current gut microbiota have space for that particular species of bacteria to take hold and set up a home. Carrie explained how bacteria take up residence inside our guts. Your gut is basically like a system of ecological niches. So... Bacteria are taking up space. They've already kind of staked out their spot and they're like, I'm here. I'm going to eat this thing. I'm going to be attached to this lining or I'm going to hang out in the the space between the linings, you know, but this is my spot. And when you have something else that comes in, if all of those spots are filled, then they're going to have to compete with the bacteria that are already there in order to fill that spot. Okay, so what does that mean? Is it a right time and right place kind of thing? Well, kind of imagine your gut microbiome like it's a watering hole in the savanna. And there are all these microbes, like let's say they're lions and zebras, and they have to compete for the resources at that watering hole. So if you bring in a new animal, maybe this animal is a penguin and it doesn't belong there and it can't compete for the same resources. So that's why if you take a pill and it only has a couple of strains of bacteria, it might not really do anything for you. So let's sum this up. Yogurt with live cultures, fabulous, great. Pills, stupid? Exactly. And Carrie says that the last thing you should ever do is spend all your money on probiotic pills. 
I would like to dispel this idea that probiotics in any form are fantastic for you. Probiotics in the U.S. market are almost completely unregulated, and so you end up with these probiotic products like probiotic chocolate bars and probiotic tortilla chips. And I just look at the those products and it, it hurts my heart deep inside because the likelihood of them doing anything is just very small, but also... They're so expensive. And, you know, if you want to eat those things and they make you feel good, you know, if you want to have your glass of kombucha every day, that's awesome. Do that. But don't feel like you have to pay money to buy these probiotic capsules or to buy these special probiotic foods because they're likely not going to have as big of an effect as companies want you to think they do. Again, it's all about the particular environment of your gut microbiome. You can't tell based on the label whether a product is going to work for you. Now, it's important to remember that we're not like germ-free mice. Even as babies, we have gut microbiomes. And we either get those first microbes while we're developing in the womb or during birth. Either way, we get microbes from our parents' bodies when they hold us and from the environment around us as we touch and taste the world. And it turns out that there's always been a perfect food to keep that infant gut microbiome going strong. And that's breast milk. Human milk has these special sugars in them called human milk oligosaccharides. They're called HMOs for short. Moms produce these sugars. All animals produce milk sugars in different forms. Humans are particularly special because we produce a very large number of them and a wide variety of them, and different moms produce different ones. These sugars are exactly what the microbes in a baby's gut want to eat, and that helps the baby stay healthy. But the other cool thing the HMOs can do is protect the baby from bad bacteria. So say a bad bacteria gets into the infant gut like Campylobacter, the Campylobacter will actually bind to those HMOs instead of binding to the infant gut. And so it will pass through the system instead of attaching and making the baby sick. Okay, this makes sense to me. We evolved to lactate because it provides babies with the nutrition that they need, and it also helps protect them from germs. And the way this happened is really kind of cool. Back in the Paleozoic era, which started more than 500 million years ago, our distant ancestors, called synapsids, were still laying eggs. And these synapsids were likely laying eggs that were leathery and soft, so more like a sea turtle's eggs than like a hard chicken egg. And when you lay those types of eggs on land, you still need to hydrate them and protect them from bacteria and other microbes that might be around them. So lactation probably started as a modified sweat gland that would secrete water and immune molecules to protect the developing eggs. And then eventually it evolved into the complex uh, system that we see in mammals today. But you can kind of see a little bit of this in a mammal that is the platypus because it actually doesn't have nipples. It has milk patches where it kind of just excretes milk onto its underside and then the young actually lap it up. You can also see this a little bit in humans today with colostrum, that first milk that comes out of the nipple, and that is really rich in proteins and immune molecules to protect the baby. 
Breastfeeding is a great way to help an infant maintain a healthy gut and a healthy immune system without worrying about the bad microbes that could be in dirty water or rotting food. But it's also incredibly taxing for the lactating parent. In my experience, I have two kids, breastfeeding was only taxing because I had to get up, it seemed like, every hour on the hour to feed these kids. And that lack of sleep, it really built up, just as my husband. But with a newborn, I would sit down, breastfeed. It was one of the only times of the day that I got to sit down and have some peace and quiet. That makes a lot of sense. But think about it from an evolutionary perspective, right? It would be simpler to lay eggs and walk away. That's a lot less work. And if you lived in prehistoric times, breastfeeding might be a time when you and your baby would be vulnerable to predators. And if you lived in a time or a place where food was hard to come by, you would use up a lot of your energy making food for your baby. The mother's body is basically having to make this food for the infant from her own fat stores, from the nutrition that she is taking in. So normally, if you're not lactating, whatever you eat is consumed by your own body and by the microbes that live in your body. So you are getting energy from that. But when you're lactating, that energy is also going towards making milk for the baby. So I have a friend who's breastfeeding right now, and she's been known to order two dinners when we go out just because she needs more fuel to keep her and her baby fed. But we are lucky. We live in a place where we can always get enough food. For many new parents, breastfeeding presents a lot of challenges. The World Health Organization recommends that babies are exclusively breastfed up to six months. If you don't have the cultural resources around you to support that, it's very difficult to maintain that. Um, and even if you are middle class and have a good job, you might not have pumping facilities. You might not have time. There are a lot of things that can get in the way. So one thing that we can potentially do is figure out what milk is doing for babies so we can design better formulas and give moms more options. Formula companies have started adding some HMOs, the special sugars in breast milk, to infant formula. And Carrie's research might actually uncover new kinds of HMOs that could help improve baby's health when breastfeeding isn't an option. For women who want to breastfeed, I think that's great and do that. For women who do not want to breastfeed, that's also their decision. And you have to make the decision that's best for you and your child. So there's an expression that a fed baby is the best baby. And one of the reasons why I'm interested in doing the work that I do is because breastfeeding can be a very difficult process for moms. We still have a lot to learn about how to build a better gut microbiome. But while I wait for scientists like Carrie and Vayu to classify the thousand-plus species of bacteria in our guts, you'll still find me sipping my kombucha. And where does that leave us? I mean, what's the answer out there? Good question. What I learned in talking to Carrie and Vayu is that diet is the best way to alter our microbiome. There is a gut-brain connection, but we don't really know how it works yet. And bottom line, the best way to maintain a healthy gut is to eat food, not pills. So just, you know, regardless of what's on the label, if you like yogurt, you should eat yogurt. If you love to drink kombucha, go for it. Exactly. 
And one more thing, Carrie really wants to emphasize that not all bacteria are bad for us. A lot of the time we hear bacteria, we think germs, we think they're going to make us sick, but bacteria do a lot of important work in our bodies, and we should really respect them. Time to embrace the bacteria. Yeah. At least the good ones. The good ones. That's producer Anna Fisher-Pinkert. Anna hosts and produced Veritalk, a podcast produced at Harvard's Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. The show takes you inside the minds of Ph.D. students at Harvard University, and you'll get to hear how students from different fields are trying to answer really big questions about the world. The original version of the story is part of a miniseries about food that they did recently, and if you found it fascinating, you'll definitely want to go check out the rest of the series. They've got stories on everything from vegan entrepreneurs to teens and the obesity epidemic. You can find Veritalk at gsas.harvard.edu slash Veritalk, or search for Veritalk in your podcast app and hit subscribe. Proof is hosted and produced by me, Bridget Lancaster. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. Sarah Joyner is our producer. Associate producer is Caroline Rickard. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio. Editing by Caitlin Kelleher, Sarah Joyner, Jordan Pearson, and Connor Olmsted. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composed our theme music. Additional music by Kyle Forrester. Post-production support from Hen Margolis. Our production manager is Diane Knox. Jack Bishop is a probiotic tortilla chip and chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen. David Nussbaum is our CEO. Thanks again to our sponsors, Bob's Red Mill, Kohler, Chef Steps, and OXO. And also a special thank you to the Harvard Museum of Natural History for allowing Anna to record there for this episode. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen. Be sure to check out our website, www.americastestkitchen.com proof. You can get more info about this episode, including pictures of Carrie Allen Blevins and her infamous SCOBY. Oh, and one more thing. If you like Proof, well, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. (laughs) (laughs) That was my microbiome. Microbiome.